Welcome to Jarks. My name is Jonathan Marks. I'm the host of this show. And to those of you who are following weekly, there's a lot going on as always. But this week, I'm not going to get into all my personal stories. I'll just give you a quick update. Um, the house that I'm investing in in the Newark area uh, is still in development. It's still under contract, but we're still waiting for the contractors to finish the work. So that's just a quick update, which is not much of an update. Uh, you know, the markets do feel like they're a bit loosening up and there's more opportunities. And I'm very excited about things that are coming in the near future. But that is not what we're going to be talking about today. Today, I have a very special podcast. I've interviewed John Stober. He has written a book, How to Analyze Big Apartment Buildings and Make Them Feel Small. He's a really great guy. Me and him have been trying to connect for, uh, I would even say, the past couple of months. It's been a bit of a hit and miss between his schedule, and my schedule, and everything else going on. But today he is joining us, and um, you'll hear in the beginning of the interview that you know we had a bit of a uh, funny interaction, just kind of getting into it. And I'm like, oh, wow, thank God you're here. So he's a great guy. It was really fun talking to him, you know, picking his brain and finding out about his journey and how he got into this industry and the things that he's doing today. And uh, I think it was a lot of fun and a lot of things that we can all learn from. So uh, without further ado, here's the interview. Hey, as I live and breathe. Oh, I'm doing all right, enjoying the Colorado weather. Ah, oh, perfect. Oh, so that's where you. You know, it's funny. I actually didn't realize where you're from. I was going to ask that at some point. But, uh, I'm original. I'm I'm originally from Maryland. I just moved out here like a couple months ago. Oh, what uh, what prompted the move? I've always wanted to move here, and then like with COVID, now it's so easy to work remote. So it's sure. like I'm going to make a move. And my brother's girlfriend live out here, so like I'm just staying with them. Rent's super cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a beautiful state. I mean, all yeah. the states. All the states are beautiful. All right, all the states are beautiful. No, nah, but some, yeah, some are more beautiful than others. Right. Right, Colorado's right, right. definitely up there. All right, very cool, very cool. So I'm glad you're enjoying <laughs> taking full advantage of this COVID situation. By the way, just so that you know, like we're ready rolling. Like yeah, I see. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I mean, just on, my, just on my side, just on my side. Like, but uh, yeah, no, no I'm. Uh, it's going to be audio only. I mean, I'll, I'll clean up if it needs to, but I try to keep these things pretty casual. And, uh, and first of all, I want to thank you for reaching out to me. I mean, uh, you know, welcome to kind of like the podcast, but, um, you know, you're actually the one that reached out to me. I was really happy to hear from you. I was really interested in the things you've done, the things you've written about. I mean, it just seems like super impressive amount of stuff that you've done for, uh, like the amount of time that you seem to be doing it. Um, mm -hmm. how's well, it been you. going? How's it been going with your, with your book? If you don't mind me asking, that seems like a super like great project. Well, it's done. So it's going all right. A lot of people have given me really good feedback on it. And then the book was supposed to feed into our analyzer, but I don't know. It ended up becoming a lot of work and it like converted well, but I'm just like, uh, it's a little too much work for me right now. So my partner Fritz, he's kind of like the IT marketing guy. He's like concocting some marketing strategy because he really wants to sell it. So I'm like, go at it, man. Like if you're going to make his money, I'm, I'm not sure. going to complain. I'll sign off anything you put in front of me. <laughs> yeah exactly i was like you know we have a budget i was like go spend it do whatever yeah. you need to do i trust you yeah okay well i want to kind of just start off with a little bit discussing like the year that we've all been having which is like obviously corona 21 i still call it 2020 because i feel like until corona isn't like out of our lives it's like still 2020 yeah. somehow <laughs> totally. uh, the longest year on record and um i don't know real estate's been crazy where i am i mean i'm i'm in the new york region um, mm -hmm. and it's just been insane. New York went down. Uh, most of my investments are in the like New Jersey kind of area, like the suburbs of New York. Mm -hmm. And that like skyrocketed. Yeah. I've heard. You know? um, 
and uh, so that's been my experience in this area where it's like, you know, it's it, it just all the ramifications of like real estate skyrocketing have taken place. Realtors are playing hard to get. Buyers couldn't give two shits about any, you know, it's like everyone's just being like, it's like trying to pick up a hot chick at a, like, I don't, not even a hot chick, like the, the ugliest chick at the bar is playing hard to get in this moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and then I, and I keep th- seeing things getting sold and I'm like, who's doing the math here? Like what, what math is anyone else using? Cause I, like, I know how to use the calculator. Like rents aren't keeping up yet with what you're doing. So, yeah. I mean, tell me, tell me a little bit about what's been your experience this past year with Corona and, um, you know, the real estate market. I thought Corona was going to hit r- the real estate market really hard because I mean, there's a couple drivers of real estate, but like the lending is the biggest one in my opinion. So it's like, if the lending goes away, values usually plummet. And so at the beginning of the year, you know, lending really tightened up and I was like, okay, like real estate could definitely be in for some trouble. And if you have capital lined up, like you could definitely get some good buying opportunities. And that just never happened. You know, it it tightened up a little bit, but it came back pretty strong. And I think in both single family and definitely in multifamily, it's like incomes have been going down across the properties because a lot of tenants aren't paying. Like we've definitely experienced on our Little Rock portfolio that collections have been a little tougher than we've imagined. But the values just keep going up. And we've talked with a couple of brokers too about like our property values. And according to them, which like you got to take with a grain of salt, they're worth way more than like we had originally anticipated when we analyzed the deal. And just like, you know, we're not collecting as much as we originally anticipated. So it's like, if you have a property, it's a great time to sell. Right, right. I mean, I, th- I, I get the feeling a little bit that I'm starting to see that where it's like, okay, all the people that were trying to sell something are now sold it. But now like every Joe Schmo who's like, oh, I didn't even think about selling this house. Like, oh, someone wants to pay me, you know, like if I thought it was 2K, like 250, like, oh, I can sell it for 350. Like, sure, at 350, I'd sell this house. Why, like I never thought of why it. Why not? Right, yeah. right. So I feel like that is starting to, and I, and from my impression, and now this is just my recent impression for the last couple of weeks, I feel like they're starting to... I don't want to say hit a curve, but there is a certain point where it's like, I do get the feeling like, okay, not every piece of crap is going to get sold. Like mm-hmm. there's even a slight, I've been seeing a slight reduction in price on some things where it's like, um, you know, okay, like not everyone's just going to buy anything out there, but it's, um, so yeah. So, I mean, what you talked about, like collecting rent, has that really been a problem for your kind of like just maintaining? I mean, it's great that in theory a value of a property goes up, but like, if the cash flow is not there, um, you know, that makes the day to day sometimes tough. How's that been? How's that been for you? As far as like collecting rent and the income side of it. Right. Right. Like maintaining the cash flow on the situation. Yeah. I I mean, it's like I said, the the collections, they're, they're a little lower than, than what we originally analyzed and underwrote the deal for. And we've had a couple of tenants, you know, they've across 34 units i think we've only had two of our evictions actually like turn in the cdc work that's basically like they're protected by the eviction moratorium we can't get them out for failure to pay rent but what's it like kind of been a double whammy is we have been evicting other tenants for failure to pay rent because they're not they're not giving their cdc paperwork in but the courts are so backed up that it's still taking forever to get them out even when you win the court case and like to get the sheriff out there right for the people who are, um, you know, protected by the CDC, we've transitioned all leases to month to month, except for like, you know, Section 8 housing leases where that's not really an option. Sure. So that way, at least if they don't pay, 
um, we can try to get them out just for something like tenant hold holdover uh, breach of lease, which is usually not as strong of a case as failure to pay rent, but like at least it's something you know gets them in the court system. But um, at least our group we're we're pretty like adequately capitalized as individuals, so if need to be, it's like we can we can float the property. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's super important is to be adequately capitalized so you can weather storms like this. And then eviction moratorium, it's April 27th right now. So it's supposed to end on June 30th. So I feel like we're in the home stretch and we're still renovating units, which we were planning to do like a pretty deep renovation plan. I think we bought them with really good financing at a really good price. So it's like, we're still paying the bills and, you know, we're doing all right. It's just like the, the cash flow and the profit is not as high as what we were anticipating at this point. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, no, I mean that, you know, depending on how liquid you are and everything else that that can, you know, it is a great year to renovate. Uh, I've, I've seen yeah. a bunch of people like just renovating, like, yeah, screw, you know, the house is at the apartment. We can't get it rented. Might as well. This is the year to actually put more money into it and get it fixed up and get it kind of ready for, you know, better tenants and take advantage of it. But, uh, you know, that that kind of depends on where everyone's personal finances or the group's finances are where they can yeah. do that. Well, as um, long as you don't need lumber and appliances. Right. Right. And also, I mean, with everything going on, even getting good contractors has been a stretch. I mean, oh yeah. Takes, no, that, that has, you're totally right about that. I mean, yeah, it's just, so tell me a little bit about, you know, just because I, I obviously have read your book and, and I know kind of like what you've been up to uh, and the type of investments you're on, but I'm just the, the people listening to us. They might not know that you specialize in big units that, you know, the kind of like what your niche market is. Can you just elaborate a little bit on like what you see as your, like what you try to market in or, you know, invest in? Yeah. I mean, so right now I'm, I'm trying to invest in multifamily properties and I appreciate the, like I invest in the big units, but uh, you know, some people are buying like thousand unit portfolios. Like I've bought like a 34 unit portfolio in Arkansas for like pretty pretty low cost so I'm, I'm no big shot by like any means um some people no, buy I, a studio apartment you know it's i mean it's it's yeah <laughs> but a studio like a studio apartment in like san francisco is probably like as much as this entire portfolio like yeah. that's what i'm you know but no i mean I'm, I'm out here i'm looking for multifamily properties um i really like how in multifamily it's not totally valued based off of the comps it's supposed to be valued based off of net operating income and like how you're actually operating the property. Although with the market we're in, that also just doesn't seem to really be the case anymore. You can completely run a property into the ground. And it'll still sell at like a new all time high. Um, right. But that's like, that's the idea of like why I like to invest in multifamily. It's just theoretically there's more control than single family. And then especially with COVID, I just think the demographics are great. If you're in good markets, populations are increasing across the country. And now um, with COVID, I think we've had such a slowdown in building of new homes and new apartments. Demand is still there, but supply hasn't kept up with it. So I'm, I'm hopeful that for years to come, there's going to be a, a tailwind just like carrying us, I guess. Right. How did you get, I mean, if you, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of still going back a little bit. How did you kind of get started? Because from what I understood, like you finished college, you started working. And then like at some mm -hmm. point very early, you said, you know what, like corporate life doesn't seem to, you know, exactly a fit. Let me try something more entrepreneurial. Let me mm -hmm. kind of venture out there. How did you take that step? What was kind of like in your, in your path? Well, so like days before I graduated college, I was, I got like my offer letter from my company and my vacation package. I was just like, 
Yeah, this <laughs> there's my next 40 years, baby. <laughs> right. I was like, this isn't gonna really work for the lifestyle I'm trying to create. So I literally like went on Google and I was like, how to make passive income. And it gave me like dividend stocks and bonds, like savings accounts and real estate. And real estate had the highest like, you know, yields. And then you also got equity in the property. So that was just very attractive to me. Sure. So my first year I'm working at my my day job and I still work at the same company. And I had this really long commute. And I, you know, at the time I'm outside of Washington, DC, and I'm commuting up in Baltimore. Washington, mm-hmm. DC is like an extremely expensive area. I still can't afford to buy a house there. I wouldn't qualify for the loan. Baltimore is a little cheaper, and that's for a reason because it's Baltimore. Um, We've all seen the wire. Yeah, and it's (laughs) not, it's pretty accurate. I've been on a lot of those streets, and 20 years later, they still look exactly the same. But um, so I ended up buying this little duplex to house hack there because I could actually afford it. And that was kind of like my foray into real estate investing. And then for my next project, you know, I wanted to do, I wanted to do a rehab. And for me, that was like, I always knew rehabbing was going to be the biggest challenge for me in this business because I'm just, I'm horribly unhandy. And like, I don't understand much about construction. And I do now that I'm working on my second project, you know, I understand more about it. But so I ended up doing this, uh, this pretty big rehab, like full gut on a 110 year old house in Baltimore. And that was just, that was an extremely tough learning experience because I had no idea like how difficult contractors could be, how to estimate, you know, costs for the rehab. And sure. through that experience, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to like continue this path of rehabbing by myself, or if I have like a partner who doesn't have the experience. And I, you know, I had that two unit, my partner had a four unit and it was like, every time we made a mistake on the flip, you know, like we had to replace the roof while the roof, you know, that comes out of our profits and we have to put money into it. Whereas my partner does like this six month eviction on his fourplex. And what he'll tell you, he's like, my tenants paid for it all. You know, I didn't profit for six months, but like, I wasn't coming out of pocket for that. And when that happened, it just kind of like set a light bulb off in our heads. We're like, you know, like apartments, even though these are small and like we've had challenges, they're kind of working for us. And this flipping has just been like a huge kick in the teeth. Um, We're just like, you know, let's just go, uh, let's figure out a way to invest in multifamily. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So you actually started as a flipper and worked your way into owning like multifamilies kind of situation. Yeah. And I wouldn't say I was a flipper. I just like, okay. Yeah. yeah. But even if you did one, yeah. yeah, One or two, even if you did one or two, like the the business model was I'm going to buy something, fix it up, sell it or rent it out at a profit kind of thing. You know, yeah, using exactly. that model as your as your foundation of what you were trying to do. That's mm-hmm. interesting because yeah, I mean my my um, you know much like yourself, this isn't the only thing I do. So you know I do real estate investing, uh, but I've been actually super careful because you know I'm I'm in a different stage. I have you know a wife, a family, I have a career, mm-hmm. I have a whole other career that isn't this. Um, and you know I've always been interested in real estate, but I'm also super careful about things you're talking about of getting into projects or getting into corners where it's like. I can't, you know, I, I'm not going to DIY this. I'm not going to like, if yeah. either this works or it doesn't work, like I'm not going to be in there with my tool belt, uh, you know, for the next three weeks, like fixing the roof or whatever, the plumbing or. Oh yeah, um, definitely not me. Right, right, right. I mean, I am pretty handy, but like it, it I don't think of that as a business model, you know, mm-hmm. like that's not, if, if that's what the deal requires, then this isn't the right deal for me kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and, uh, 
but I often think of like, you know, cause what I'm doing is more like long-term rental. Like I'm not mm-hmm. buying to like sell in, in, in a year. I'm buying to like, Hey, the month, the, the, you know, the cash flow has to work and we're going to work it. It's going to be like a long, a long investment kind of thing. Um, but in, but I'm all, always tempted to, to do what you kind of mentioned because I feel like that is such a more immediate payout. Like I'll buy something, we'll work on it for, you know, six months and then sell it at a profit. And I would even think that in today's market, that really works a lot. I mean, I've been feeling all year that that model works a lot better this year. Because yeah, if, well, if you can find the deals, that is. Right, yeah. right. If you can find the deals and do the work, then that's a better model because the prices are where they are. Um, right. In but, three uh, months, it's they're going up like 10%. I know, but it's just, you know, one of the things that you discover when you start doing that, and maybe you've had experience with this too, you didn't talk about the permit side of things, which is like each town has its own way of doing things and its own personalities. And it's always like some lady in the office with her paperwork. And, um, you know, did you, did you, I'm assuming you ran into a bunch of those kind of problems. Oh yeah. With Baltimore city permits. Are you kidding me? The story I always tell people and it's funny now, but I had to go into the permits office to like, get a permit filed or something and you got to pay for parking there too. So I go into their office thinking, well, it's an office. They're going to have like pens and paper in there. And she asked me to sign something and she had like a pen kind of like on her side of the table, not in the middle. So I, I felt it would be polite if I was like, can I borrow your pen to sign the paper? She literally like looked me in the face and she was like, no, <laughs> like go back to your car and like, yeah. well, she didn't say go back to your car. So I had to go back to my car and like, go get a pen. And then I had to wait in line all over again at the permits office. And I'm like, I paid for parking too. So if my parking runs out now, I'm going to get a ticket. But no, I mean, they were difficult to deal with. Um, inspectors didn't come out. They ding you for like super silly things. I think one time I was on like a work call at my job while the inspector came out and I couldn't like, answer his questions because i was talking with my boss i think he failed us for an inspection on something like that so uh, that was a super big headache but I, I would definitely get a better general contractor next time just watch them like a hawk right i mean it, it's it's it, everyone sounds great in the beginning but then when you get into the minutia of the work is when you find out like okay they're reliable they're not reliable i mean yeah. I, I find that dealing with those kind of people you know just just in general like professionals in our in this work I think that people that aren't in the real estate game, so to speak, um, have no idea how wild west it is. Like you call mm-hmm. a plumber, he doesn't show up. You know, you an electrician said he'll come on Tuesday, just doesn't show up. Like right. I, I, I'm always shocked at how unprofessional like that world is, where it's like I don't, I don't always know why that is. Obviously, there's great people, but I mean, finding great people to work with, I feel like, is such a top priority if you're going to yeah. make this work. I, I've never understood it either and i think what like homeowners don't get to is you know if you're like remodeling a kitchen you might be getting some new appliances cabinets and paint but if you're doing a big rehab and like you're trying to keep it on a schedule it's like well if that plumber doesn't show up to do your rough in then the guy behind him can't show up when he's scheduled so now you got to reschedule with him and like it affects your whole your whole pipeline and it's just like it's already challenging enough to get people out there when they're supposed to be and now you're telling someone like sorry, I got to push you back for three days. It's like, well, I, I have another job lined up. So you're either going to have to wait or you're going to have to find another contractor. Right, right. Also, what I, my, the best thing I love about them is when they all just do like their thing. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, no, no. I don't do plaster. I only do paint. Or, yeah. you know, I only do like, 
I, my plumbing is like, I only do like the faucets and the, the pipe. I don't actually deal with the sewage. I'm like, you know, so then you're out there. Like, I get it. Everyone is like a super sub specialist. Like it's like a surgeon that only like, uh, you know, does like one part, but it's like, listen, I need the whole thing fixed. Like I just need the faucet running. I don't know what mm -hmm. that means, but I just need the whole thing. Uh, yeah. and, and if you don't do the, if you don't know what you're doing, like those things very quickly eat up into your profits. Uh, yeah mean, one like starting out i thought that's how it was going to be where it's like I, I bring the plumber and i tell him like listen like i just need the house roughed in like you're the plumber figure out how to do that and like they don't they're asking you all these questions and you're just like i don't know the answer like i don't i'm not a construction guy this is why i hired you so wow. yeah it's, it's just like it's way more difficult than you can imagine if you don't have a construction background that's right. what i learned the hard way right 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 no i mean i think i think partnering up um, is, is a really great way to do, whether it's partnering up with a construction company, partnering up with different people that have strength. I mean, it sounds like in your team, um, you're also partnering up. And that actually brings me mm -hmm. to kind of like, you know, something that I'm super interested in with most people, but in your case, especially is like getting started. You know, someone's listening to us and they're like, you know what, I'd love to get into real estate. You know, all these, um, I don't want to call them get rich books are out there, but you know, they, they always make it sound like, oh, you know, you just buy something and use it. And it's always, I always have that question like, yeah, but where do you get started? Like, right. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, where is that first hundred K coming from where you buy something? Um, so what's been kind of like your, you know, what, what would you say to that about like getting started with these kind of projects and partnering up and advice for people sort of thing? Like any type of deal or like a, a big deal? Any, anywhere. Hey. I mean, if someone is listening and they're like, you know what? I, want, I mean, I feel like I have endless conversations with people that really want to get into real estate mm -hmm. and they're, it's like, they're all on the sideline. And mm -hmm. I feel like they're, I mean, obviously there's all the psychological, like there's fear and inhibitions. And when you get into the details, it becomes scary. Like, Oh, we're really going to do this. Like I'm really going to mm -hmm. take money and like buy a thing, you know, like then you start realizing like all the work that's involved. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think the other part of it is that um, for a lot of people, there's just a, a question like, what, but where do I even get started? Like, you know, chicken and the egg. Do I find the property? Do I first have to save a hundred thousand dollars to get started before yeah. we even get started? I think that totally depends on the person and like where you are in life. For me, I, I think it starts like with getting your personal finances healthy, um, you know, accumulating like a nest egg of cash in case something goes wrong that way, like you can cover overages and you're not worried about like getting groceries and paying your rent, making yeah. sure you have good credit too. But for someone you know, I'm fortunate, like I, I got to go to college and I have like a decently paying job where I'm able to live below my means and save money. But, you know, maybe you are stocking shelves at Giant, which like not, nothing against it because everyone's got to start somewhere. But if you're making eight bucks an hour and you're trying to work your way out of credit card debt, like you can't do that working at Giant. So you're going to have to take some more risks. So, you know, if that, if that were me in that situation and like real estate is the avenue I've decided to pursue, I would probably try to develop a skill set or a strength in some area, whether it's like me finding deals, raising money, or being able to manage them. Sure. And then like go to your local RIAs or just get in Facebook groups and start networking with people and develop really strong relationships with them mm. and find people like if you're really good at, you know, finding deals partner up with someone who has a lot of money, but no time. So then you can hustle and like, you can provide value to them. But 
I kind of forget what I'm saying. Um, no, no, I mean, you're, I, I think you're on the right path. I mean, I feel like you're saying, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think it's about finding, I think, you know, I know that I've done a lot of this is like sitting down just with pen and paper and being like, okay, like, I mean, as I said, just about, you know, earlier, you know, I had to sit down and say, look, I have a family, I have a career. How much time am I putting into this? How much of our family finances am I putting into this? Like really define it and then like see where you are, you know, and, you know, I, I'm constantly hunting for real estate, even when I don't have money. Like that's kind of my thing because I'm always doing a bit of this chicken and the egg situation with like, you know, I always feel my philosophy is like, if I find a good deal, we're going to find the money. You know, right. if, th if this house, if I can show someone who has money, like, Hey, this thing is a, you know, 15% cap, like here, look at the numbers. I mean, just look at them. I mean, this makes sense. You can then find someone who, Hey, I have extra money or, you know, want to invest it. And, um, you know, but you, but you can't, you know, but, but, and it's always this, I'm always, I feel like it's always this juggling situation where you're looking for people that have money and you're kind of prepping them for like, Hey, when I find a good deal, I'm going to talk to you about it. And maybe along the way, I'll like email them like, Hey, here, here's a few things I'm looking at. And then like when something gets closer, then I say, Hey, here's the deal. This is the one you should go on. And then, you know, you can figure out percentages or a commission or, you know, all that. But, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's starting, I think for most people, it's about starting off with like kind of honesty of like what their situation is and like where they want to get involved. Like, you know, I think, you know, people have said to me sometimes, you know, tell me how you think about this. Like, oh, you should get a real estate license. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not an agent. Like, I'm not yeah. trying to be an agent. Like that's, that's a whole other like job. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, in your case, maybe I would, I'll ask it differently. Like, how did you get involved in like big multi-units? I mean, you said 34 units, even if it costs as much as a studio in San Francisco, that's still mentally a different, um, like it's a big leap. And it seems like in your book, you're trying to tackle that like mental big leap that people need to do. Like, hey, 34 units is not that scary. Mm -hmm. So how, but, you know, how'd you get to that spot? I mean, I spent like almost two years educating myself on multifamily and just, networking with people and i think this applies to anyone in real estate or in any business it's just like you got to stay in the game long enough to wait for the opportunities you know to present themselves and if you're working hard they will present themselves you know you're going to hear a lot of stories about people who they send out one batch of mailers and like they get some seventy thousand dollar flip that's great mm -hmm. like that, that's awesome for the the person who did that but that's not normal in today's market. There's a lot more people I think who are quitting just because it's so difficult. So if you're staying in the game and you're continuing to work hard, you're networking and you're learning skills. I think at least what happened with me is like, I literally had a friend who's now a partner. Like she had a deal, which initially didn't meet my criteria. I didn't want to invest in it, but she had it. And the opportunity just kind of came into my lap where like she needed a, another partner with money to close it. And I had been looking for so long to find when I was just like, screw it. Like it's not sure. the perfect, it's not the perfect deal, but you're rarely going to find a perfect deal. Like I, I need to take this opportunity. Well, I, I, I think that that's interesting because I feel like people, well, one, I think there's this big fantasy out there about what real estate investing is about and making money. And I'm not even going to go into like TV shows about it, which, mm -hmm, you know, right. are like, that's actually my other line of work. So it, it's, straight up fantasy <laughs> like you know tv is tv i mean it's just all made for tv kind of magic in, in many cases um but 
you know, there, there's this fantasy of like what's going on out there. And, and I really think that like, I don't know if you think of this as sports, but I often think, you know, are you a sports fan? Are you like a basketball yeah. kind of mm -hmm. like you don't have like a bench player who like barely hits the court, suddenly hitting the court and like, oh, man, uh, so and so on the Knicks just had like a 50 point night. That doesn't right. happen. The guy who's averaging, you know, Randall, these is whatever, just as an example, he's averaging like 30 points a night. He might go off on a night and suddenly score 50, you know, but he's consistently getting 30. And then he has like that one brilliant night or a couple of them put together. And I feel like that's the same thing with like investments. Like, you know, you get that mediocre deal, you get that mediocre deal, you get mm -hmm. that mediocre deal. Once in a while, you'll hit that diamond or like that, that one spot no one's looking at. And you're like, wow, like I can really like, or an angle no one's figured out yet. Uh, but that's not like, you know, um, the, the bread and butter, what you're doing. Like, you, you know, I, I, I'm very much into like just low key, not low key. I mean, for myself, I'm looking just like, as long as it's profitable and it has a positive cash flow, I feel like there's a good place to go. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, and I think that's like just a, a, you know, it's interesting what you said also about like the consistency, like you were talking about like one person sending out a flyer and that's like, you know, that one time you tried something where in fact it's kind of like working out where you want to, you know, week, you know, have a pattern of what you're doing. Like for myself, I weekly reach out to real estate agents. I weekly drive out to the neighborhood that I'm interested in. I weekly look at Zillow and find things and, and call up the agent and, 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 you know, just see what's around. And it, I don't want, I don't know if it's a waste of time, but like mostly nothing comes out of it or leads lead to leads, lead to leads, lead to leads. And then eventually something, comes somewhere but you never really know where it came from eventually it's like um you know so so it, do you have any kind of patterns or things that you feel that you're doing to like consistently like find the next good investment or the next project i mean so right now my main focus is actually just finishing up uh, the little rock project but so i'm actually not really looking for for new deals right now until i exit that one but no i mean our team like we were calling brokers every week We've tried doing some direct to sell stuff, networking with other people that we trust. So it's like, hey, if you find something and you know you need some help, like as far as like raising money, asset managing the deals or um, analyzing them, like we can be of assistance for there. But how many people like are in your, how, many, how many people are in this in this in this uh, partnership that you have or in this group in the little in the little rock one? Um, five. Five. Yeah. Okay. Great, and that that it's great that you get five people on the same page to work together. I mean, I feel like that's. Mm -hmm a really great, um, you know, you, you get the power of the group to kind of work together towards something. Yeah. That was another reason I was actually really attracted to multifamily initially because with that flip, I mean, we were only looking at like, you know, uh, we thought the numbers were going to be like buy for 90, put 60 into it and sell for, I think like 230, it, you know, after all like the holding costs and the hard money, it was going to be like a $30,000 profit. And there were three of us in on the deal. So it, it the splits would have ended up being like 12 for me, 12 for another partner, and then like six for the last one. And he was also going to get like the buy side and the sell side commission. So he's actually going to make more than both of us. But the, prof, the profit was like, even though the deal was good, it met like the 70% ARV rule. The profit mm. for the guy who was really like we were relying on for the construction was not very big. Like right. if you're, you know, if you're doing other big deals, and probably just wasn't like a huge priority for him. And so at least like when you get into these bigger deals, it's like, okay, there may be five of us, but you know, we're talking about a one to $2 million deal where hopefully everyone's going to like two or three X their money 
in a year. So if you have a good amount of money in the deal, like everyone's properly incentivized to really focus on it and make it a priority. Right, right, right. I mean, that, that I think is, you know, just kind of title and is what happens with most contractors. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have a, just as an example, I have a neighbor in the back here. He's been working on this house for like the past three years. It's costing him, God knows what it's costing him already. I mean, he bought right. this thing. It's a total rehab, you know, great for him. I mean, I think he's like paying that like this contractor lives on this guy. So mm -hmm. it's like he's got this one contractor and, you know, the guy's there every day. So it's like, yes, when you're providing, I mean, like all of us, a consistent good work or paycheck, you're just going to the guy's going to be at your doorstep. But if you need a plumber for like three days, obviously he needs to fill the rest of his calendar. So you're not a top priority for him until you mm -hmm. hire him like full time. But um, do you or the investments that you deal with? I mean, this is for me personally, I know. Uh, the great thing about real estate is that in theory, you can kind of work anywhere, like you can invest anywhere. I mean, I know some people do like overseas investing or far away investing. I'm in the New York area. So I'm always like, God damn it. Real estate in Florida is fucking cheap. Like, why am I not investing in Texas? You know, and all that stuff. Personally, at the moment, I'm comfortable staying like within a zone that I could at least drive to, you know, even I don't maybe like on a daily basis, but like, so like my radius, I would say is like a two hour drive radius. So um, do you feel that you operate with something like that or you're good with like, look, we're crunching numbers. The thing could be in, you know, three States away from me. I don't have to see it. So again, it, it depends. So like I'm in Denver closest partner for the little rock deal. They live in Dallas. They're a, a four hour drive away and they do go to the property pretty regularly. Okay. So depending on who I'm working with, I don't need to be the one there because it's not like I'm going to be the one, at least at this point in my career, like going and watching the contractors and the property management company, because as far as real estate operations go, like I don't have a ton of experience with that. I'm really good at like looking through the accounting and the ledgers, making sure that, you know, the money's all where it's supposed to be. They're not spending too much or they're not like putting in expenses that they shouldn't be. And I can do that from anywhere. Right, right. So, you know, if I'm in, I'm in Denver right now, if someone had a deal in Florida and I really trusted them, like I have no problem with that. But at least someone has to have boots on the ground. Yes. And that's like the biggest thing I've learned from this Little Rock deal is like someone's got to be boots on the ground. And so like someone has to be a local market expert because even with our partners in Dallas, like they invest primarily out of Texas. They're not Little Rock experts. So if the contractor we're using right now, you know, he gets backed up or something, they can't like drive down to Little Rock in a day and find three new contractors that we can get sure. bids from. Sure. So, it, you know, it, it slows things up. So going forward, yeah, like I'm, it's going to be a requirement of mine that either I've got to be the boots on the ground and I could do something smaller myself and grow that way. Or if I'm going to do something bigger, like someone who's a, who's a real estate operations guru has got to be there. Right, right. Yeah, I probably, you know, it, it'd be better if it'd be someone who's part of the team or someone who is yeah. like an investor. Yeah. Any no, I mean, like, yeah, they, they have to be like a partner in it. Right, yeah. right, right. Not just like, a oh, I, you know, I pay the handyman to come by and nope. all that stuff. Not, yeah, yeah. Not, e not even a family member because, oh, you know, the worst. Family, yeah. <laughs> the worst. Well, it's just the worst. Like, it, yeah. If someone doesn't have. I'd rather have the handyman. <laughs> but like, if someone's not like invested financially in the deal, it's not going to be a top priority for them. Right, right. Whereas right, like right. if you have a lot of money in the deal that you could either make a lot or you can lose a lot, you know, you need to drive out the property today, right. you're going to do that. Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like finding good partners is, you know, it's like finding good, you know, uh, contractors. 
finding good partners is a really important part of like us working together or, you know, creating a good group and, uh, you know, creating a good team because, um, again, a, a lot of people, I feel like real estate is like a sexy thing to talk about, uh, and mm. a sexy thing to invest in. But I feel like when it comes down to the actual minutia of the work, it becomes less sexy. And that's when people become like, nah, you know, like they don't show up. They don't really want to do it. They don't really want to put their money down. They don't really like, I, I'll tell you just for myself, like, yeah, you drive into some neighbors that don't like, aren't great neighborhoods. You go see apartments that look terrible. You, you know, mm -hmm. you, 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 you know, that for me, that's, those are the kind of neighbors where you can find the, often the profit in, you know, um, right. Or you're, you're finding things that don't look great and then you're going to fix them up or rent them out or do something with them. But I mean, that requires, um, you know, going to areas that aren't always the best. And, uh, and but yeah, but finding great partners um, is, is just so critical. And finding areas, I mean, for me, something that I've also done with my two, two hour zone radius that I work with is, um, you know, you develop a real understanding of a certain area. And like, yeah, I often feel like, you know, maybe you know this from towns that you've lived in, um, towns can be extremely diverse you know, within town, within small towns, sometimes within like blocks or, or I was going to say within, within the same block sometimes. Right. Where it's like, and people that live on that block or in that little town will tell you like, oh yeah, yeah. The end of 50th street is really crap. But the beginning, of, but 49th street is amazing. Like 49th street is where you want to be. 50th street is a terrible block. Don't walk on that block. I mean, that's obviously a very close proximity, but like the point stands that like, you won't know that by walking on the blocks once, like you need to kind of be around, hang around, um, see what kind of people are walking up and down those blocks, uh, you know, go visit. I mean, for myself, I've done a lot of like, go to the local coffee shop, mm -hmm. walk into 7-Eleven, like just hanging. That's part of what I said earlier about driving around those areas. Like, I just feel like the first time I'll drive around an area, I'm like, God, I, where, where is everything? Or this looks like crap. Who wants to live there? You drive there a few more times. Like, oh yeah, I see where I said, you know, okay, that's true. Oh, there's a little park over there. I didn't see that. You know, it's like, you kind of start seeing, the charming parts of the neighborhood and maybe the appeals. Um, mm -hmm. But it just requires being there. Well, it requires a network too. Cause even if, you know, if you don't know that someone might tell you that. And like when I lived, you know, when I lived in Baltimore, the reason I was, I was like so happy you said on the same block is because I lived like on the edge of a college and like on the side of the block I was on, it, it just got like rougher immediately. And literally as like you start walking in the block, like, it's getting rougher and rougher and rougher. And then you get onto a major street where, you know, you got stuff from the wire where it's like houses without roofs and, you know, the brick facades that looks like a tank shell has gone through them. Right. Right. The, the block on the other, like, I guess uh, the block east of or west of me, literally one block, it was like so much nicer. And what I found out once I moved there is because the college had security that, exp or yeah, like security expanded like four blocks out. And then right as you go into my block, the security ended. So right, it just right, like right. changed so drastically. And if you're not there or you don't have a network where someone can tell you like, Hey, like don't buy on that block or, you know, the house over here is not worth the same as the house over here because the security, like it, it ends right there. You know, the only way to know that is you either have a really good network or you're there yourself. Yeah. What, what do you feel about uh, something I've been hearing a lot about due to this whole COVID-19 and, uh, I mean, places like New York, Los Angeles, even San Francisco, I mean, even New York these days with prices reducing and even mm -hmm. San Francisco, as an investor like you and I, like what we're talking about, for the most part, those places still don't make sense to us mm -hmm. as an investment. Um, I mean, I can elaborate. I'm sure you can elaborate, too. It's just 
you know, they're still so expensive and the rents don't keep up with the pro like what the property is right. worth. Uh, the only way people invest in those places is like, oh, you're going to buy a three unit crappy building and turn it into an eight unit, yeah. you know, high end kind of rental area. So that's the only kind of investor that works in those areas. Um, but what has happened is there's been like this major explosion, like, I guess what I would call it is like secondary cities. Yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> where it's like one, the remoteness of the job working has been like tremendous for people. And two, I mean, you know, call me nuts, but I mean, like New York, LA, you know, San Francisco, I mean, these are charming. I've lived in all, I've lived in two out of those three. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, Hey, uh, so-and-so small town is great. You know, that little, you know, Austin is an amazing town. Uh, you know, um, I mean, in area or Newark, which is still up and coming, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think it just has endless potential. I actually don't really understand why Newark hasn't exploded even more. Um, but uh, a lot of the towns that are outside of New York City have, um, you know, there's towns like Montclair and, and these are like middle upper class kind of towns. They've gone through the roof. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what's your experience with like that kind of action that's been going on? You know, I'm, I'm seeing the same thing and I think it's going to continue to happen. I think for these like secondary tertiary cities, long-term COVID may be like the best thing that actually happens for their growth. I mean, you can, you can take me for example and gosh, like, so I'm, I'm from Maryland right. in the last year. I probably have as many friends out here in Colorado now as I do back home and all of us moved here because we just wanted to live here. There's a lot to do from where we're from. You know, I got friends from like San Francisco, LA, Washington, DC, all these markets are actually more expensive than Denver, but we can all move here because we all work remotely. Mm. So it's like, why would you pay? You know, I had a friend paying like $2,800 to live in a studio in a ghetto in San Francisco. And it's like, why would you do that if you don't have to anymore? You can literally, you know, he works in tech. He can literally live anywhere. Like if he wanted to go live in Youngstown, Ohio, so he could pay 500 bucks a month for a rent, right. he could do that. Right. So I think for like white collar workers, you know, you're definitely going to see some uh, migration to cheaper markets, you know, cities and towns. And it's not going to be primarily driven by jobs. I think a lot of it's going to be like, what is there to do here? Cause you can sure. live anywhere. The jobs are not going to, they're not, they're not drawing the white collar people. It's right. the attractions. Like in Colorado, you got mountains, hiking, like biking, you got all this stuff where people just want to live here. And if you're coming from the Bay area, like your bills are probably going to get cut in half and you're not paying as much in taxes Sure. for the, for the blue collar workers though. You know, if you're doing like construction or you're a secretary, I don't think like offices are going to go away completely you're a little more like geographically trapped. So I'm not really sure what's going to happen as far as like that end of the spectrum. You know, you may be stuck in San Francisco, but as yeah. more white collar uh, jobs move to a location or more people with white collar jobs move to a location, you know, you're going to need more like doctors, lawyers, dentists, waitresses. And like, sure. you know, like doctors and lawyers are not blue collar but you're going to need more like blue collar service industry people so i think you're going to see growth on that end too well i think what's been happening on some level i'll tell you with like some of the suburbs that i've been seeing out here is that when people are moving from new york to the suburbs there's been this mm -hmm. idea of like um you know new york money you know it's like okay like how's this here used to be like five six hundred thousand dollars now if you're someone who's like used to 
thinking of New York City rent or New York City, like buying apartments where it's like in the millions or whatever, you're like 600,000 shit, like cheap. Yeah. Like yeah. sign Sticker me up shot. tomorrow. Like, why right. would I not, you know, like I've been seeing studio apartments for 600,000, like 600,000 for a house, you know, four bedrooms, a garden, a parking garage, like great sounds, you know, so um, I think that's been, you know, sending up, the, that's been kind of like sub, you know, um, uh, messing up some of the local markets. But I, look, I, I think these things are going to balance out. I think that like places like New York, San Francisco, LA, I mean, we kind of just, LA for oddly enough has not lowered its prices this whole year. It's, it's LA is, a, is weird on its own. I feel like they have no supply there anyways in California. No supply. They haven't, they haven't been building forever. And the amount of homeless is insane. Like I'm, I, yeah. I who knows what is going on with that. But um, in New York, uh, you know, people, one of the things that I think that's been going on is there's been, there's been this crazy overvaluation that's been going on for, for years, for years and years mm-hmm. and years. And I mean, my running joke all year is like, I'm totally fine with New York City getting 25% cheaper. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, so rents will just be cheaper. Office space will be cheaper. Uh, maybe a few mom and pop shops will open up as opposed to like another, you know, like Chase Bank or CVS or anything like that. Like, uh, you know, I, I think eventually we'll find a new a new balance kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think big cities are going away. I think they're just changing what they are. Um, and I think commuting and telecommuting is, is great. So as an investor, you know, I'm really trying to think of like that as like, where am I putting my money? Where is the next towns around me that at the moment look, you know, reasonably nice, but slowly but surely might start ticking up there because, yeah. uh, you know, good populations are moving out there and we're not all being tied to the desk as you said, like white collar jobs, or, or in fact, a lot of jobs. I mean, it's not like white collar very seems like Wall Street investor kind of thing. But I mean, I think a lot of jobs are being uh, able to be remote. Um, yeah. And that's like really what I mean by white collar. Like if you can work from a computer, like you, you can pretty much go anywhere in right. the country. Right. I mean, some companies, I mean, I, the, the only other thing I would say about big, big, big cities is I know that like people are moving I'll take myself an example too. It's like further away from New York at the moment, but mm-hmm. there is like a certain like outer limit to where they want to go because it's like your job still might once a week require you to come in. Come back in. Right. But that changes the equation from like, oh, if I'm traveling five days a week, I want to be, you know, within an hour. If I got to go once a week, hey, I'll go three, I you know, I'll move up to Connecticut for a three hour commute for the once a week I have to do it. Um, yep. If everything else is great. And I, th- I think people will still, or a lot of people want to live near a major city too, because, you know, you have things to do like sporting events, restaurants, culture, where, you know, if you're out in like a rural area or a suburb, like you don't have access to that unless you right. go into the city. Right, 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 right. Yeah. No, I mean, these are all, I mean, you know, as, as an investor, it's just obviously in, in the suburbs, prices are more reasonable. I think that like mm-hmm. entering like urban centers um, is, is a different complicated kind of equation. Um but you know, it's, it's, I also feel like there's opportunities in every state. Like, I guess that kind of goes back to the geographical we were talking about where it's like, at first it coming from like a New York kind of background, I often felt like, damn, this is, this market is way too expensive. Mm-hmm. But once you start like delving into other neighborhoods, other towns around, you realize that like, okay, like the cap rates in some of these places are similar to, you know, Houston, Texas and, and mm-hmm. some places in Florida and, um, but obviously it just requires work and, and delving in. So I kind of feel like wherever you are, there are certain opportunities. 
I agree. Yeah, no, there, there's different strategies for every market. It's like you said, you know, in San Francisco, you may not be able to buy like some turnkey rental, but you may be able to buy a three unit and add five units onto it. Right, 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 right. No, I, I have endless friends in, in Los Angeles. I mean, I have actually a number of friends in Los Angeles that are dying to buy a house at the moment to live in, and they just can't. Like, it's just numbers are just absolutely absurd. And I keep telling them, like, look, you have the money. I mean, in a place like L.A., you might as well just rent. I mean, I know they're family yeah. members and they have kids and all that. And they, they feel like odd about renting forever. And I'm like, you have so much money. Like in any other part of the country, you could just buy a building. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you just straight up buy it. Like what are you messing around with like a mortgage in LA markets? But, you know, um, it's sometimes hard to kind of break that, that, um, that mental like, block. Yeah. But um Listen, this has really been great. I mean, I'd love to, you know, give people some traffic to your direction. I know you you have your Kronos website, kronosinvestmentpartners.com. Is there any other kind of things that you're plugging these days or working on that you want people to know about? I mean, we have our own podcast called The Millennials and Multifamily, and it's kind of just geared around, like, if you're a young person and you want to get into bigger deals, um, you know, we have stories from people like this is how they did it. And we also bring on some older, more experienced people and we try to ask them like, how can a young person add value to you? And then um, the the ebook that's free. I think the address is bit.ly forward slash underwriting ebook. Um, okay. You can get a free copy there too. You just got to give your email. I think from what I've seen, if you go to the Kronos website, it's there's a link there. There may be. I, I don't that's like a, do. That's how I got it. That's how yeah, I got okay. it. So I know there's I a website. Yeah, I don't do our IT. My partner Fritz handles all of that. Thank goodness. But <laughs> we all have, <laughs> we'll have our there. strength. We all have our yeah. strengths. <laughs> he, he's really good at that stuff. Much better than me. So I let well, him handle it. I'm sure you bring it. It sounds like you're bringing the number crunching to the table. Which exactly. Is, which is super important. Mm-hmm. Well, listen. Thank you. Thank you for your time. This has really been great. And uh, maybe we'll connect again in the future and you can, you know, give me some updates on like what's going on with some of your projects. No, for sure. This has been a lot of fun for me too. Perfect. I'm always, I'm always happy to chit chat about this stuff. Like I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in real estate. I'm interested in investments and I, you know, I find this like endlessly interesting and, and I'm, I'm going to go and look at some more of your websites and kind of keep track of what you guys are up to. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. Perfect. Thank you so much, man. Talk to you soon. Anyway.